0: It's that time you've been asking for it and I'm going to give it to you immunity pull out that old campfire accelerant toss it on the flames cuz we're going right back to story hour tonight not a story that takes an hour per se but at the end of this show the thing that you guys have asked for that I have neglected to give you for so long is back I'm going to give you some good old fashioned peel back the curtains behind the scenes maybe even off the record intel on our latest trip. This time it was to Miami, but you know we're on the road every week of the college football season. And so as much as I can responsibly and dutifully provide you, I'm going to give you some more of that behind the scenes scoop and juice and dirt that you like so much. We are jam-packed high atop a stormy downtown Nashville, Tennessee to Sunday night, June 11th, the year of our Lord, 2023. What if is actually the name of the first segment we're going to do tonight. What if? I want to know the biggest ones in college football this year. I put out the tweet a little while ago. What are your biggest what ifs in the sport this year? And we came up with four of them. You guys came up with like 400 of them. I'm not so sure that this may not be a recurring segment throughout the rest of June. Recruiting's on fire. I mean, if you're not locked in right now, I'm going to get you locked in. How about that? I'm not going to shame you for, you know, worrying about your family or taking your kid to a soccer game or, you know, just spending some outdoors time. But hey, it's official visit season. And a lot of these programs are making major moves. Some of them have already got 20 plus commits in their class. And it was a massive official visit weekend for a number of programs. So if you didn't follow it, that's OK. Maybe you have a life. But producer Jesse does not. And so I had him monitoring this all weekend because I'm with you guys, I've got a life. But Jesse just stayed bunkered in here and so he found out what's happening. We got Will Fong with updates coast to coast over on 247sports.com and we're going to have all the latest tonight. Hey, let me ask you another question because one of you asked me and I'm going to do it a little bit later in the show so you'll have time to think about this. Do you think today's college football player loves the game as much as the average college football player did in say 1987? Just something to think about. Very interesting question perfect for the month of June for us to talk about later and we got bold predictions we've got the LSU spotlight I don't know how we keep the show under an hour tonight the answer is we probably don't and I don't think anyone minds in Lexington Oklahoma that's where they're watching us tonight Oro Valley Arizona Belgrade Serbia has checked in they've got a Serbian player on the Denver Nuggets that's pretty good I want you guys to keep an eye on him really going to emerge I think over the next few years and I would know because I was at the NBA finals the other night And thoughts and prayers to my buddy, Bernie, who got knocked out by Conor McGregor. Assault, to quote Dan Lust. Also, Fairfax Station, Virginia is tuned in. There were a lot of inside references in that last sentence. I don't expect most of you to keep up with that. Here's what you do need to know about this week. We're going to be live from Los Angeles, California, Thursday night. Apparently, we're just a road show year-round now. We're going to be at Elite 11 out there. And then I'm going to hop a red eye and come right back to Nashville. Why? Why? Because we got consequential softball games Friday night. I can't be expected to miss that. My team is counting on me. And so uh, I may have a, a surprise or two up my sleeve for you Thursday. It's not a promise. We'll see how the week goes. But there are a lot of people on the West Coast that we don't get to talk to in person regularly enough. So let's just see what comes of it. But we will be live from L.A. It'll be a little bit earlier start time, too. So follow The socials at late kick josh. I'll let you know exactly what time we're going to start there, but it'll be a normal show. I mean, it'll be just like this one. Uh, It's just that the sun will still be out. I may be wearing sunnies, which is a fancy term for sunglasses. So I look forward to that. The drive to 200k continues. We got to get this channel to 200,000 subs before kickoff. There is no plan B. That is it. There's no safety net under this promise that I am making to you. We're getting this thing to 200k subs. Uh, before college football season, or Colin goes on a hunger strike. And that would be really detrimental because he's the one punching the show right now, which is what we call a director. All right, let's dive in. We have got so many different places to go. I appreciate you guys, especially if you're tuned in live. You may need to start incentivizing live viewership. We'll see what we can do about that. The biggest what-ifs in college football this year, what's on your mind? What are you asking yourself? What are you sitting on the back porch with Uncle Lester, maybe in the hammock? maybe in the upright swing saying, well, Uncle Lester, what if this happened? Well, I got four of them, and you had several more than this, but just let's just start in Tallahassee. What if it's real? What if the smoke from Tallahassee is real? What if Florida State really does win the ACC this year? Think about the ripple effect. First off, we've got a major, prominent brand returning to the main table of college football. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, if Florida State is for real this year, The only reason they're hyped up this year are for reasons that would extend well beyond this year, i.e. they've recruited well enough. They don't have one of the most talented rosters in the sport yet. We detailed that the other night, but well enough. They have portaled very well. I mean, they've they have attacked that portal like few other programs have. They are developing. The culture is in place that they took their sweet time putting in place. And that's exactly how a culture is built. They don't they don't pop out of microwaves. Long-lasting, sustainable cultures, they don't pop out of microwaves. And I'm saying all that because if Florida State were to win the ACC this year, it would be validation. It would be validation that Mike Norvell's for real. I don't know that football people doubted he was for real, but some casuals did. Some folks wanted him fired. No one will go on record with that now, but I've got the screenshots. I mean, whomst am I to share in my private DMs? But anyway, if they win the ACC sure, you've got Florida State reemerging. And if they win the ACC, we may very well be looking at Florida State college football playoff participant in the year of our Lord 2023. But also, there's this other little tidbit, because this is the what if game. And what if Florida State wins the ACC? Well, that would mean, Josh, that means Clemson didn't win the ACC. And uh we'd all of a sudden have to look up there as well. Now, we don't know the details. Maybe they just went back and forth and they played an instant classic in week four and they play another instant classic in the ACC title game. Well, if that's the case and Clemson falls 38 to 35 both times, it's obvious the bold prediction from the other night about them having the top defense in the ACC probably did not come to fruition, but I can't really fault them all that much. But if Florida State wins this thing because they're superior and Clemson just for whatever reason, even with the new OC, it does not spark life into that program. Then we start comparing philosophies, don't we? Then we start, and by we, I don't even have to participate in this because it would come from Clemson. It would come from inside the camp of the orange and white up there and purple occasionally. They would start saying, are we really going to be bypassed by this guy in Tallahassee who's taking advantage of all that the sport gives him, transfer portal in other words, while we voluntarily neglect the transfer portal. Because if if that happens, if Florida State wins the ACC, people will view it as a referendum on the two approaches. You know that and I know that. Right now, it's not like that because Florida State hasn't done anything of note on the national stage. But if and when they do, and, and that's the approach and Clemson hasn't changed their approach, yeah, a lot of what-if ramifications if they win the ACC. Let's go to the SEC. And I got to get a little negative here on you for a second. The Bama over-under win totals 10 right now. And a lot of folks are taking the under. I don't know if you're actually taking the under. I just, I know you're telling me that you're taking the under. It's one of America's favorite pastimes right now. Hop on Twitter, hop on the gram and tell Josh, hey, Bama's not winning 10 games. I'm like, okay, college football citizen, show me the bet slip. Some of you have, many more of you have not, but here's my what if. What if you're right? What if Alabama does not win the SEC West again this year, so they're not in Atlanta again? I guess the obvious question is, well, what went wrong? Did quarterback not pan out for him? Is that secondary not quite as good as old JP thought they were going to be? What is it? How many games did they win? I guess would be my second question. Is, is it a, an 11-1 season where they have some game of the year candidate against LSU and LSU beats them and all of a sudden Bama's on the outside looking in, but hey, maybe they're still a fringe playoff contender? Or do they go 9-3? Do they fall to Texas, which wouldn't be a conference game, but it would be a precursor, maybe a vulnerability? And then do they lose at Texas A&M? Do they drop one to Tennessee or LSU? or Do they get clipped by like Hugh Freeze and Auburn randomly at the end of the year? I do know this, it would be mighty uncomfortable because as I detailed the other night, I've got a massive massive Alabama audience and a large chunk of that audience is college age. And I love all you guys, but you're not ready for it. I've tried to get you ready, but I can't. There is really no kit to get a 19-year-old diehard Alabama fan ready for what a nine and three, eight and four season feels like. And I don't think you're gonna experience it this year. It is not my prediction, certainly, but this is the what if game. This is where we can recklessly throw hypotheticals out there with with, you know, impunity because it's just what if, you know, it's just what if you guys are not ready for that. And I hope you don't experience it for a long, long time. I will be here for you and we will probably have our own little separate show, just a Bama Cope special for if and when they do finally fall back to earth a little bit. But if they don't win the West, yeah, you got the million and one questions about Alabama. Who won the West? It's a fair question, right? Colin, Jesse, yeah, who won the West? Well, I think the first guess out there would be LSU, cuz LSU's the next highest odds on favorite. But I just have this I just have this crazy scenario, and anytime I elongate the A, you know it's about to be pretty crazy. What if it is someone like Texas A&M? What if they do win all those close games they lost last year? What if Bobby Petrino really was the the heel that they needed at just the right time. We need a bad guy winning divisions in college football. We need a bad guy program. And we need a fan base, and I think a and is that fan base, that is happy to play the heel role. Th- th- not everything can be WrestleMania 17. You can't have good guy versus good guy. Someone's got to turn heel. Uh, they did it at the worst moment imaginable that night in Houston, Texas. But outside of College Station, no one likes Bobby Petrino. Outside of College Station, very few people have a net positive impression of Jimbo Fisher. That's not a bad thing. That's a, it's actually a really good thing if you can embrace it. Well, what if they not only embrace it, they embrace it to the point where they take down Alabama in College Station and they win the West, and all of a sudden it's, it's Georgia versus who? Georgia versus A&M? I thought there was an SEC bylaw where they couldn't play each other. Nope, that's just in the regular season. They could face each other in Atlanta. So yeah, as you can see, If you, you know, if you punch the middle of the waterbed, which I did not finance, three-year Letterman, then it reverberates well beyond just Tuscaloosa. Here's one for you. Let's just go out to the Lone Star State. Let's leave the SEC for one last time. Um, I don't like saying Texas is back. I don't even like the nomenclature. So I'm just going to say, what if, what if Texas is for real? What if they really are a tier one team this year? Now, I'm not going to traffic in that whole Texas as a program thing, even if they win the Big 12 this year, because all that would be is Texas doing what they always were supposed to do anyway. So it's not proof, even if they make the playoff this year, it's not this total definitive, like rock solid proof that they're back as a program, although it would be a pretty darn solid indication, even I have to admit that. But what if Texas just is for real? What if they devour food in week one? And if you're listening on podcast, Yes, they play Rice in week one. What if they do go and just beat Alabama in week two, but at the very least play a competitive game there? That'd be one of the most charged environments of the year, by the way. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to double dip in what I have to say about that game. But Texas wins the Big 12 this year. What if they're in the playoff? You know, What if Sark validates a lot of what they hope about him? What if he proves wrong what a lot of the rest of the country doubts about him? A lot of doubt around Steve Sarkeesian. The whole cannot and have not versus will not, you know, that thing. If they are for real, then they would win the Big 12 if they are for real. So we'd have that, maybe that includes a playoff trip, but they would be springboarding their way into the SEC off of that momentum. And it would also mean that, okay, well, if Steve Sarkeesian's formula works, it's only gonna get stronger cause their roster talent is only gonna increase. In fact, substantially increase. They're top five recruiter every year now. And that class this year, I think, will in many ways mirror the class they had last year. Also, we've talked many times about how they are just stacking quarterbacks. So not all of them are going to stay there, but it doesn't matter. They're always going to have at least two high-quality options. So they're not going to be one of those programs that's vulnerable to QB1 going down and poverty elsewhere in the room. If it happened this year, they'd have Malik Murphy and Arch Manning sitting right there waiting to play. And they've also vastly upgraded line of scrimmage talent. They lost Bijan Robinson. I still think they are very, very good at tailback. I don't really need to talk about the embarrassment of riches they have in the wide receiver room. Defense, we can talk about that another day. Uh, They are trending, at least in the right direction there. But that's preseason talk. If they win it, if they're for real, that means I'm just right about all that. Is the world ready? I've asked this question like three times in the past month. Is the world ready for Texas being back? is Texas fan ready for Texas being back? I talk about the, the 19-year-old Alabama fan who's never experienced a down year for Alabama. Well, think about the 19-year-old Texas fan and think about the fact that they were a very, very small child when Colt got hurt in that national title game against Alabama and the fact that they've not been back since. What does 19-year-old Texas fan all of a sudden do? And then imagine, I always think about this, the folks who were enrolled at the University of Texas in this case, you're there when you're there. You don't control the football program. But imagine if you just so happen to be a true freshman when Texas reemerges. It's like being a freshman at Alabama circa 2008 or nine or something like that. And you know your, your older brother who's seven years older, he's telling you stories about Mike Price and he's telling you stories about Mike Shula and you're like, couldn't be me. Dude named Sabin rolled into town. Hey, someone's eventually going to be able to talk like that in Austin, Texas. Maybe it is the class of 2020. What would that be? 2028, 930. Good luck, I guess, is my is my lasting message there. And lastly, they got one double digit win season since 2010, by the way, according to my teleprompter. And that concludes the use of the teleprompter for the night. Uh, what if Ohio State doesn't win the Big Ten East? Well, another doomsday scenario. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Scenario. It's a doomsday scenario. I think we all know that. I, I think everyone up there from Cincinnati to Dayton and everywhere in between understands they, they need to win the division this year. Now, I say that, which allows you the opportunity to go in the comment section and say, OK, well, if they have to, what happens if they don't? I don't really know. Wailing, yes. Gnashing of teeth, yes. Throwing furniture out of windows, torch, pitchfork check all the boxes. Yes, that would happen. But that's not the question. The question is straight up, would Ryan Day be fired? I think it's insanity to suggest it. That's my opinion on the matter. There are scores of other folks that wear scarlet and gray during the fall that disagree with that. I've explained their whole plight. They've explained it very well, actually. They look at it and they say, we don't hold ourselves to a 10 win standard here. You look at the schedule. We've got advantages over everyone in virtually every compartment that it takes to win at a high level in this sport. Uh, there are really no areas where hamstrung big time as an athletic department. I said big time because I know the board over at Bucknuts would correct me on that and they would point out A, B, C and D. You've got first world problems up there you want you want real-world problems, leave Columbus, Ohio. Go talk to some of those Mac schools that surround you. They got real-world problems. Kent State is struggling to field a program this year because the, the, from coast to coast, everyone just raided them. Really sad story, actually. So if they don't, if Ohio State doesn't win the East, this is the last year that they have division play up there, by the way. If they don't win the East, they don't go to the Big Ten Championship game, probably means they lost to Michigan again. Maybe they lost to Penn State and Michigan, who, whomst knows amongst us. So uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. And then we also, outside of just the uncomfortability factor of, ugh, sucks to be Ryan Day in that scenario. But you also have to ask, does that mean that Harbaugh just ripped off another one? Or did James Franklin and Penn State emerge? Like, what happened up there? Interesting. Inquiring minds would like to know. Those are some of the what-ifs I'm looking at. This is one of many things that makes this sport great, you notice we didn't fly off the handle. That was, not a, that was not a hot take fest. It's okay to say you don't know in the middle of summer. Preview Magazine season is upon us. We are awash in predictions, and we will make our fair share on this show in due time. But it's okay to just, just speculate. You know, like between sets at the gym, at the barbecue joint tomorrow when you're killing time before you have to go back to work, the kinds of things that we would talk about there, it's okay when someone puts a microphone in front of your face to just just talk that way for a little while. And that's what we just did. And I don't know why I'm talking like Bob Ross right now. I can't paint to save my life. But speaking of art, Colin, I guess that segment's over. Speaking of art, I gotta show you something. I, I always tell you about my DMs, right? And one of you finally called me the other day, called me on something. Don't do the FaceTime call. Don't do, don't do the Instagram call thing. I, don't, I never answer. One of you called me on it. You said, hey, stop referencing your DMs if you're not going to show them to us. Now, it is uncouth to ask someone to show you their DMs. But if they're going to throw them in your face referencing them, you absolutely are within your rights, constitutionally within your rights to dare me to show you. So you know what I'm going to do tonight's about peeling back the layers. It's about opening the curtain for you in a number of different ways. I'm just going to start showing you some of the stuff I get every day. The connectivity between this audience and us is unlike anything else I see anywhere in this industry. I'm just going to show you some random stuff uh, throughout the show tonight. So one of them actually has sound. And don't worry, if you're listening on podcast, you're going to hear everything you need to hear. I, I go in my Instagram DMs the other day. Uh, There is a DM from one of you, and it's a video. I always hesitate before I open those videos. But I opened this one, and it is a guy playing a guitar. And for those of you who tune into the live show, you may recognize this tune. So director Colin's going to play like five seconds of it. And if you don't recognize it immediately, you probably won't get it. Let's see how many of you get it. Roll it, Colin. So what is that? Anybody recognize that? Now, if you watch the replay of the show, this makes no sense to you. There's a countdown clock that we put on the live show. So it's at 7.50 Eastern, 6.50 Central. Colin starts a countdown clock, and that's just a mechanism to build the live audience. Well, there's music that plays behind the countdown clock. I've never really thought much about it because most of the time I'm in the studio and I don't hear the music. Some of you have taken great fascination in that music. Some of you request it. Uh, and it's royalty-free. Great news for you guys. You can use it anytime you want. Our guy right here is just riffing away. He's just decided to play it for us. Uh, that, was, that was just an unopened DM that I found. Those are the sorts of things that I have every single day in there. Um, thank you. I appreciate it. If that's a competition that people want to start, which ever of you thinks that you can play the Countdown Clock theme song the best, I don't even know what the title of the song would be, the yet-to-be-named countdown clock song, be my guest, have at it. All right, huge weekend, massive recruiting weekend going on right now, even as we speak on this Sunday night. I don't wanna waste time here. I do wanna tell you, though, make sure you're locked onto 247sports.com. Steve Wilfong's phone, oh, the iPhone. Can you imagine how hard that thing is gasping for breath right now? He's been updating and updating and updating all day, so there are articles and there's scoop everywhere. I have curated what you need to know from a national level. Georgia, and it's going to shock you, they got a really good class. They got the number one class in the country right now. I would call them the odds-on favorite to finish with the number one class. We'll see. It's a loaded in-state crop. Okay, so I could spend all day talking to you about the good players in the state of Georgia this year. But what's interesting, and if you look at the kids they had on campus this past weekend, and if you listen to Kirby Smart last time we had him on this show, he said... Yeah, we want to lock down the state, but we have to be smart about the way we recruit. You can't just assume that the complementary nature of your needs will always be met with in-state guys. It could be that you got a number of defensive backs and and a really, really deep offensive line crop, but maybe you need three interior defensive linemen and the better quality is, is a kid in Indiana and a couple of them from Arizona and California. Well, what do you do? You recruit your backyard, but then you supplement nationally. That's what Georgia's doing again. That's always their M.O., and it always will be under Kirby Smart. They flipped Chauncey Bowens. Not good news for our friends down in Gainesville, but it is good news for Georgia. That's a four-star running back. Uh, Nate Frazier is another top 247 running back out of Santa Ana, California. And so two kids at the tailback position, not from the Peach State, they are either the just outright commit, I don't want to say, I don't want to say he signed with him because he didn't, but he committed to him. Or they're the favorite. So two tailbacks there. And also they lead. And this is pretty interesting. I think a lot of folks in the recruiting industry are not surprised by this. But if I told you there's a five-star edge guy out of Birmingham, Alabama named Jordan Ross, you'd say, oh, where is he going? Bama or Auburn? Well, Georgia leads for him right now. At least that's the way things look. Vestavia Hills, no less. If management lived in Birmingham... Vestavia Hills is the neighborhood management would live in. I think I've told you all you need to know about Vestavia Hills. This is a loaded cycle in-state for Georgia, like I said, but they are making moves for a number of kids out of state. All right, let's move it along because we got so much to get to. Penn State, the Fighting Jessies. See that, see that chart there on your screen? Number six in the country right now? Yes, Meemaw said only a foolish man buys stock in class rankings in June. But we are those foolish men sometimes, meemaw. Good for Penn State. Now, so far, they got 18 verbal commits. Subject to change. But there are a ton of eyes on a kid named Nick Marsh. Because the receiver position at Penn State, if you were to identify a big question, relatively speaking, the receiver position is one where they're not overly dynamic. They have not been overly dynamic. But that's why you recruit. Because you got the dynamic quarterback up there. Hopefully, big-time names like this want to play with him. 6'3", 200 pounds. He's a four-star receiver out of Michigan. It looks like Penn State leads for him. Jamonta Waller, five-star edge guy. Now, this would not even be the first cycle in the last couple of years where they will have landed a five-star edge guy if they do so secure this commitment. Uh, But they lead for him, I do believe, and our folks close to Penn State agree with that. Auburn, Florida, the main competition there. And Grimsley, four-star safety. Jameer Grimsley out of Tampa, that's going to be a Penn State-Alabama battle as it appears right now. Now, he hadn't taken his official to Alabama, but they feel really good about what they did with him on campus this weekend. Penn State just, it's so funny when you watch the trajectory. It's not a sudden spike. It's just its just steadily, little engine that could, further and further, chugga, chugga, chugga up the hill, and they're in it for one or two more high-caliber athletes per cycle that they used to not be in it for and it's one chop, two chop, three chops. Is trees eventually going to fall? No, it's not. It would have fallen already. That's not how forestry works. Please be quiet, sir. It'll fall eventually. We'll see. This year, next year, it'll fall eventually. I was down in Miami for the better part of the week. And I tell you, I walked in that building Tuesday and it was already buzzing about the official visit weekend that was coming up. Uh, we did the live show from there Thursday night. I told you, In no uncertain terms, they think this is the biggest official visit weekend in the history of Miami football. Well, here we are on Sunday night. I think they just had the biggest official visit weekend in the history of Miami football. I don't just want to gloss over what I said there. The history of Miami football. They've had some pretty good teams down there. They've pumped out some pretty good players. The biggest and most star-studded, let me say, official visit weekend In the history of Miami Hurricane football, they had four of the top 10 there, six of the top 35. It sounds like they knocked it out of the park with all of them. And it would be a shock to me if anything other than that was said, given the level of preparation and the intense attention to detail. I mean, right down to how inflated the the green and orange balloons were on the staircase leading into the athletic building. Every T was crossed, every I was dotted. And it's the kind of weekend that could reverberate for years to come. You, you think that's hyperbolic. It's not. Ask any of these fan bases around major programs where, you know, there was a kind of a paradigm shift. They always point back to a recruiting class that was the spark. And some of them who follow recruiting hardcore can point back to individual weekends. I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll save a lot of this for later in the show. So after we got done with Mario Cristobal, I talked to him for another 30 or 40 minutes just off camera. Boy, if I could have had him mic'd up for that. But the one thing I'll tell you is he's got a really good memory, and he was, he was detailing specific recruiting weekends that he remembered from his time at Alabama as an assistant or Oregon as a head coach. And talking about the level of detail, the intensity you have to have, but also the, the ability not to force the issue. And so you got to kind of balance your emotions. But, man, some of the stories about those recruiting classes at Bama and how they learn you know, how he learned attention to detail and leave no stone unturned and applied it at Oregon, and obviously they're applying it down there now. It wouldn't surprise me if they've had a verbal commit since we've gone on air. Watch that closely because I think they will get results out of this weekend, either immediately or eventually. Notre Dame had a, had a smaller contingent, but a really important one this weekend. They're already near capacity on their class. When I say capacity, you can save it. You don't need to tell me that nothing, nothing matters until the ink is dry. I know, I know, I know. I'm also telling you, I remember Keon Keeley last year. I know they're not immune to decommitments. I'm telling you they have 19 verbals. I'm telling you, I think most of them are going to stick. I'm telling you they got the number three class in the country right now, and they are training headlong into challenging to finish inside the top 10 again. Elijah Rushing, appropriately, the number one edge player in the country, was on campus this weekend. He is from Tucson, Arizona. Fascinates me that we don't pronounce that name Tucson. Just fascinates me. But nevertheless, 6'6", 235, need him. Need players like him. Difference maker. Uh, Also, the number two tight end, Carter Nelson, out of, I believe, Nebraska, was on campus this weekend, too. You know, if I were to tell you, hey, Notre Dame had two high-profile players on campus, what positions do you think they played? Edge rusher and Tight end would be way, way up there for me. Uh, that's a Nebraska-Georgia kind of Notre Dame battle right now for the tight end. That's why you brought Marcus, Marcus Freeman in. Not Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman. That's why you elevated him. I just, I remember when Brian Kelly was up there. They weren't bad recruiting. Uh, they weren't bad at anything, actually. They were never in the conversation like this. Now, that's not a knock on Kelly because he's got LSU in the conversation. As I've told you many times, I think this was a win-win. Both programs seem to be better off. Freeman at Notre Dame, Kelly at LSU, you know that whole deal. I've gone over that many times. But he's he's got him as a major player in recruiting right now. He's got him in conversations that they used to not be in. And so whatever changes they've made up there, whatever promises they've made him, and whatever attitude and approach he's brought to the recruiting trail, it's working. Marcus Freeman's way is working. And of course, that has to translate on the field and we can't press the fast forward button and find out what the future holds before we, before we get there. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State both had notable weekends here. Look at the crystal ball feature and look at Michigan right now picking up crystal ball. And that's just the 24-7 sports method of prediction for insiders. A couple of crystal balls logged for Dom Nichols, Uh, that's a four-star edge guy out of Maryland, Elias Rudolph. That's a four-star edge guy out of Florida, Michigan, always been a national recruiter. And also one of the, one of the very special prediction alerts in the business is the fong ball, as I call it. And that is when Steve Wilfong weighs in. Um, has he trademarked fong ball? I, I know he's trademarked a few similar terms for different reasons, but has he, has he trademarked fong ball yet? I don't know. Uh, But I am if he's not, and I'm telling you, he dropped one for five-star defensive end Eric Houston, and that's a five-star defensive end out of Buford High School, home of the Wolves, played them many times when I was at Harris County. Uh, They they have athletes like that up there, and Ohio State's in it big for one. I always thought about Buford and Notre Dame because they have the same color uniforms, as you can clearly see if you're watching the B-roll right now. Recruiting is on fire, okay? This is like tip of the iceberg stuff. You got to be locked in on this. I don't want you guys to be surprised. I don't want you guys to be taken off guard. I would not be fulfilling my duty to you as the leader of Pate State University and and a premium college football podcast, even though it's free. If I didn't keep you up to date on this stuff, I don't call this a recruiting show, but man, how, how do we not talk about this? This is what January used to be. June and July are what January used to be. I told you I want to give you a little bit more of a peek behind the curtain. I want to show you a little bit more about what it's like to just swim in the pool we swim in every day. Basically, I want to show off how incredible our audience is. Well, you know how incredible Academy Sports and Outdoors is. And if you don't, let me tell you, they're pretty incredible. They make the show free for you. And they also have this store and this chain of stores that has like everything you could ever want. One of you hit me up early today and said... Well, we don't have one where I live in Colorado. What should we do about this? I said, academy.com is what you should do about that. One-stop shop for all outdoor sporting goods supply needs plus. And the plus means they just got a lot of other stuff that you would have never even guessed they have. Also, military, first responders, you drop that ID anytime between now and July 4th, you get an extra discount. Uh, You get free in-store pickup if you guys order it from academy.com. But... I ask you sometimes, let me know when you go to Academy, let me know, show me some of your receipts, just give me some testimonials. And I really didn't have to ask you, you just kind of started doing it, but it's taken on a life of its own. When we meet with Academy, they don't talk about, hey, here's some fresh ad copy for you to read. They don't talk about how uh, I want you to tweak how you mention this, or I want, I want you to feature this new artwork. All they say is, we get inundated with your viewers telling us that they just went to our store. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. We love that. So we're just going to do that on steroids. Let me give you two examples of what I get by the dozens and dozens and dozens every day. Colin, could you show me the first one? Uh, a guy by the name of Joshua Roush. Love his name, by the way. I, I got this from him on Twitter. I own a reptile business. Whoops, amongst us doesn't. I own a reptile business. I needed a net. Like an idiot, I checked Walmart first because I was going to get something else. Ended up at Academy and made it clear that I was going to the better store. Found exactly what I needed. $5. Hashtag for the win. Now, as I sit here and tell you outdoor sporting goods supplies, you don't think about the reptilian industry, do you? But yet they had the reptile net for old Joshua Roush. Check. Next up, I got a DM from our buddy Jonathan Shusky, street name Buckets, his little kid Aiden, basketball camp ready and said they needed a photo because they had just come out of Academy, and he's got he's got a sizable, a lengthy receipt in his hand. This is what we call paid state material, and this is what I get from you guys every day, and I'm just going to start showing it on air. Why? Because I'm proud. That's why. So thank you to Academy, and thank you to you guys. Longest ad read in history, but I think it was worth it. Um, ceremonial sip from the chalice there. I got a just a fascinating question earlier today from one of you, and it was from Paul in Camden, South Carolina. He said, I saw someone say they think more and more college football players don't love the game like they used to. Do you agree or disagree? I had to think about this for a little while. I, here's what I think. I think it, it is still a very much case-by-case basis. So what I'm not ready to do is I'm not ready to say today's player does or doesn't fill in the blank because I think it paints with too broad a brush and I'm around these kids constantly. Like I'm around them all year and I know some of them, I think if you cut them open, they bleed college football. I think there are absolutely some others that play the game because they have God given ability because maybe their parents expected them to because maybe that's their way out of a tough situation, but maybe they don't necessarily eat, sleep and breathe it. Maybe they don't love it. That's always existed though. I do think technology plays a huge role here. So here's where I land on this. And I appreciate the question. It's a really, really good one. And I'm going to be extra interested to get your feedback on this. So I'll, I'll be looking at the comments on this. I think technology has done so much to enhance, to change, or to expose the conversation on this. So you ask, does today's college football player love the game as much as he used to? Well, number one, I think technology has served to expose a truth that was always there that you used to not be told. It used to be that every feature you saw about a college football player exhibited their love of the game. They didn't all love the game ever. Uh, It's just that you had very, very limited technological means with which to get information. And so by the time it was filtered and delivered to you, it was really, really produced. It was really, really dressed up. You never got a real picture. Fact of the matter is, at Penn State in 1972, they had kids in that locker room that didn't love the game, just like they do today. You hope that it's very limited, but not, not 100% of kids that played the sport at any period loved it. It's just you didn't used to hear about it. Now, you got so many different communication mechanisms, and players have such a higher profile, sometimes the truth leaks out and bleeds through a little bit more. Number two, I think that technology has obviously created more information availability. And that's led to more divergence in paths. So what I mean by that is if Jesse's sitting right here and Colin's sitting right here and Jesse is predisposed to loving the game and Colin is predisposed to sort of being indifferent. He's just, he's 6'4", 230 and he happens to be a really good tight end. Jesse's got access to more voices than ever before. And therefore, Jesse's mind is molded by more voices than ever before. And if this dude over here Jesse is predisposed to loving the game. It's not just his mom and dad he hears from anymore. He can hear motivational messages. He can hear uplifting messages from all over the place. If you're subscribed to the right sorts of feeds, you just scroll through your socials. You can get a lot lot of bad stuff on socials. You can get a lot of good stuff pumped your way on socials too. That's fuel for Jesse. Now for Colin, it may be different. And this is purely hypothetical, of course. For Colin technology has created more distraction for him and therefore his attention is even less on the matter at hand and he's even less bought in than he used to be. So technology alone is not the devil. Technology alone is not the angel. The way that you leverage it and harness it is. And the third thing is technology has provided more options. And this is where I think especially some of the kids from a rougher upbringing have it apply to them. It it has been preached for a long time for kids from a certain socioeconomic background, you got ball or you got a microphone, and those are the two ways that you're gonna make it out. Whether that message is wholesome, whether that message is accurate, that's been a message for generations. Well, all of a sudden, the digital media platforms and the social platforms come of age, and they enhance the ability to create more options for you. So now all of a sudden, you can become an influencer. Well, how how was a 13-year-old going to hope to become an influencer in 1993? The answer is they weren't. But in 2023, they absolutely can. So all of a sudden, there's this new brass ring. There's this new belt above the ring to reach for. And some kids who have the God-given athletic ability that otherwise would have gone into the lane of college football, even though they may or may not love it necessarily, some of them just flat out don't even play anymore because some of them find another way out. And so the love of the game its really interesting because one of the first things that stood out to me, one of the first big shocks to me in um, observing football, NFL or college, or covering college football was the realization that not everyone loved it. When I was 10 years old, I thought everyone loved it. I thought, how, how could you ever survive playing that game if you don't love it? It's hard. It's hard to survive it for 99% of humans, even if they do love it. But there is this certain cut of cloth, there is this certain caliber of athlete that is the 0.01% out there that is good enough to play this game, even if they don't love it, and play it at a high level and potentially be all conference, potentially be hall of fame bound. They're that physically gifted. I just thought that didn't exist. I thought all the guys I saw loved it. I thought all the folks who covered the sport love it. That's not the case either, believe it or not. And so I think when you, when, you start to, when you start to drill down into the particulars, is it a good or bad thing? Well, it's just a thing. Like as a college football fan, you may listen to me talking like this and you may say, well, if you don't love college football, that's a bad thing. Selfishly, I agree with you. But let's just, let's just run this back. So let's take Colin again. He's the, he's the 6'5", 230 pound tight end, doesn't love football but he's good enough to play at Tennessee. And he's good enough to shine in Josh Heupel's offense. And, and he's a 1500 yard receiving guy. And he goes on, and gets drafted second round, goes to Indianapolis, plays eight years, makes life-changing money. He's out of the league by 30 and he's set and his kids are set and he never really loved it. But he also kept his head on straight and he treated it like a job and stayed out of trouble and was a model citizen, and he's now you know owning a regional bank or something like that by age 40. Was that a bad thing? Was it a bad thing that those options were available to him? I don't necessarily think so. Again, the reason I say case by case is because the, the technological infusion that provides more options will destroy some kids' lives. It just will. It'll also make some kids' lives. It just will. It will fuel some kids' who may have only been at an eight on the love of the game meter to go to 12 or 13 and just go off the charts because of being able to see and experience more things. And it'll take some kids that were going to be on the fence and distract them like you don't know what and take their mind off of what it should have been on. And it'll wreck an otherwise promising career. It's just case by case. I can tell you this, though. I am I'm around a lot of them. It is tough when you get to the highest levels of this sport. If you don't have 0.01% God-given ability and you don't love it, it's tough. It's really, really tough for obvious reasons. Here's the other thing. The guys who do love it know the guys on the team who don't love it. And you wanna know like oil and water mixing, what it's like in a locker room? Imagine you are a quarterback of a major program that has high expectation. You know those expectations are married to you. And you know, for better or for worse, how that team performs this fall, it's going to impact your legacy. Okay, no one, no one looks back at 2021 or 2022 Georgia and, and thinks about Cedric Van Pran. Cedric Van Pran may be the best center in the country. No one calls it the Cedric Van Pran team. They call it the Stetson Bennett team. So imagine for a second, being a quarterback on a team this upcoming year, knowing your legacy's on the line your playoff hopes are on the line, maybe your NFL draft stock's on the line, and you're catching more balls off the jugs machine in summer workouts than half your receiving core. What can you do? You can't go and and bang on their door and physically drag them to a voluntary workout. Now, you want to know a conundrum. You want to know one of the intangibles that goes into close wins and close losses. That's it. How many of your guys are really bought in? And for the guys who aren't bought in, how many of them can you get to at least fulfill their duty? It's, it's why coaches get paid a lot of money. It's why this is always gonna be an inexact science because you do have some guys in your locker room that don't necessarily love it. They're good enough to be there, but they don't love it. And you got some others who are willing to go over the cliff, facing the fan eight days a week, who look at the ones who don't love it and wonder, how in the world am I supposed to go to war with you on Saturday? This is happening in every program, every single season. And if it doesn't happen in your program, you're probably about to win a national championship because you found a way to get a leg up on pretty much every other team out there. Good question. Really good question. Uh, Do me a favor, please. uh, Like the video if you're watching, but subscribe wherever you are. Subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast. And look, if you really want to be a model citizen, just do both. Okay. Bold predictions have entered chapter eight. Bold predictions are quite simply the things you claim you believe in that you would bet your own money on. So let's go. Let's dive in. Uh, The first one tonight has to do with our two-time, some would say defending, I just say two-time national champ, Georgia Bulldogs. Gresham from Kennesaw, Georgia says, Carson Beck is going to break the Georgia single season passing record with 4,300 yards, especially with the running back room being beat up. Well, first thing we have to acknowledge is this would be lofty. And then the second thing we have to ask ourselves is well, what's the record? You don't have to go back too far. The record was set one year ago Stetson Bennett, 2022. He threw for 4,127 yards. And that was 15 games because they won the national championship, of course, and won the SEC title. Now, it should be noted Stats and Info, aka producer Jesse, tells me that three other power five quarterbacks eclipsed that number just last year alone. So, yes, this would be lofty by Georgia standards. But, you know, Georgia is not some cradle of quarterbacks that puts up video game numbers every year. It's not their style. That's not their M.O. Uh, They may be the best program in the country right now, but that's not the way they've gone about it. So these would not take astronomical statistical feats of strength, but it's a first year starter at quarterback. Uh, Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, and Drake May, by the way, those are the three last year, Washington, USC, and North Carolina that went above and beyond what this number would be. They are really good at wide receiver this year, and they may have the best tight end room in the, they have the best tight end room in the country. It's not May. Um, And the running back room, I always hesitate to say this because, you know, Georgia's average is, is better than a lot of programs special. It won't, probably be the most dynamic Georgia tailback stable ever so on the plus side you have that now on the downside if you want to call this a downside are they going to need this their schedule is what it is are they really going to need this are they going to be in many knockdown dragout fights where Carson Beck's got to be throwing the ball in the fourth quarter I don't know uh, Mike Bobo takes over as offensive coordinator is that how he's going to approach things I think that may be a little overblown I think Bobo's fine as offensive coordinator Uh, Georgia's defense, statistically uh, third in preseason S&P+. So those would indicate to me, maybe out of necessity even, or lack of necessity, this won't happen. I'm going to make this an 8.25. This is pretty lofty. Carson Beck's got a good arm, looked really good in the 8A game. Still pretty lofty. 8.25 on the boldness scale. What about out in the Pac-12? Maxim Mayer. I hope that's his real name from Vancouver. He's from Vancouver, Washington, Jesse. I thought that was in British Columbia. Maybe in, in, some, crazy, in some crazy world, there's a Vancouver in, in both of those, province and state. Anyway, Maxim says in the Pac-12, no one is gonna win double-digit games this year. Oh, there's also a, a side B to this. It's like Silver Springs on a side B on rumors. Travesty. Uh, he says, late kick tour is gonna come to Eugene for Oregon versus USC. That's not a bold prediction, but that's not the real prediction we're talking about here. The first one is the prediction. No double-digit game winner in the, big, in, the, uh, in the entire Pac-12 this year. This is an 8.5 for me on the boldness scale. As has been noted many times, it's a paper-popping stat right here, there are six teams, there is half a dozen of them out there, that have a preseason over-under win total of eight and a half or higher. USC is at 10. So a bunch of them are bunched up in that top tier. Uh, Southern Cal's at 10. Oregon and Washington, nine and a half. And then they've got Utah, Oregon State, UCLA. They're all at eight and a half. And then there's this big drop off. One of them's gonna win double digit games, at least. So I'm making this an 8.5 on the boldness scale. Uh, here's, a, here's an interesting stat though. So if you're pulling for me to be wrong, if you're pulling for total cannibalism out there in the Pac-12, of the six teams in that group, the six teams that are in the top tier, five of them have to play at least four of the five others. So I, that sounds really convoluted. It looks a lot neater on the piece of paper than it sounded coming out of my mouth. All that means is none of them dodge each other. They're all going to play each other. And so if you have a bumper car, cannibalism type scenario, and that's our, that's our quota for saying the word cannibal on the show, we, we like to keep it under, under two and a half per show. If that were to if that were to be in the cards, you would assume, well, that just means they're all going to have to play each other. That's how that's going to happen. Yes, they, they do pretty much all play each other. And then you got Southern Cal playing teams like Notre Dame in out of conference play. Oregon plays Texas Tech in out of conference play. Utah has Florida and Jesse, who do they have in week two? Is it Baylor. Yeah. So the out of conference is, is pretty strong out there. Washington goes to Michigan State. Hope you guys have your, uh, have your streaming subscriptions ready because that one's going to be, I think, Peacock only? It's one of the streamers only. Yeah, 2023. I, I, don't, I don't buy into this. I think one of them is going to win double-digit games. Speaking of double digits, next up, Happy Georgia Sports Fan is predicting that Texas beats Bama by double digits. This is a week two game in Tuscaloosa. We have a line on the game. Bama is favored by about a touchdown, which is interesting because our buddy Tim Watts, who I'm not supposed to acknowledge the existence of anymore since he doesn't work here anymore, but it's okay. It's, people have tuned out by now in management. Uh, he hit me up and asked me like 30 minutes ago, is there a line on that game yet? Yes, Timothy, there is. Alabama is favored by seven. And Texas winning this game by double digits, obviously, according to stats and info, and according to the trusty late kick calculator, would mean... You need like a 17-point deviation from the regular point spread, which sounds pretty. eh, Sounds like a tough ask, right? Except that it happened last year. Remember how this game was in Austin last year? I do. I was on the field. It was 150 degrees, but I did meet Bevo in his most vulnerable state. Do you? You know? You know those those animals? They got to do their business just like you and I do. The difference is there is not a staffer that walks around behind you with a shovel for yours. Bevo has that. Do you know that? I did. I found out firsthand. I got iJosh footage of it. So last year, this game's in Austin. Bama wins by one. They were favored by nearly three touchdowns. So we had a deviation from point spread that big that day. Maybe it happens again this year. The difference if it happens this year it sound the alarms in Tuscaloosa because if Texas walks out of there with a 13, 14, 17 point win, it's you know the world may spontaneously combust because I just realized this you would you would have um, you know how you have two ships passing in the night, these would be two ships colliding in broad daylight. If Texas beats Bama by double digits because that's what our man just predicted here you have the Texas's back crowd, on, on one street corner. And then like jets over here, sharks over here, you have the, you have the Bama's done crowd on the other corner. And then someone just rings the bell. Chaos ensues. Both of those things happening in one afternoon. Ugh. Good time to be in my line of work, I guess. This is an eight and a half. Cause I don't think it's going to happen. That's not fun. I know that's a little anticlimactic. Um, the last time though, it's not impossible. Let me put it that way. The last time that this big an offensive threat came to Tuscaloosa, I want to say was that 2019 LSU game. I've got a story to end all stories to tell about that game one day. It is a statute of limitations situation. That's how good the story is. I can't tell the story yet. I don't know what kind of jail I would go to, honestly. With, with the the egregiousness of the offense that we committed that day, no one was harmed. It was a victimless crime. But um, yeah, that story, bookmark that. But I was there that day and watched Joe Burrow and LSU build a thirty three to thirteen lead on Bama, and it looked like they were about to run them out of the building. Now Bama made it close late, so no one remembers that. I do. I remember it being early third quarter and LSU's up by like three touchdowns, and you're saying, "Is this really happening?" It was. Now, uh, what I didn't just do, in case you misheard me, is compare this year's Texas to 2019 LSU. What I did say is it's pretty rare for a home crowd in Alabama to feel truly vulnerable. It's the one thing I've picked up on going to games there. Most of the time, I mean, over the last decade and a half, those folks have walked in understanding if it's going to take something gargantuan happening for us to actually lose today. Like they may not cover, but they're not going to lose today. But every now and then there's an opponent that comes in that actually puts fear in their heart. They'll never admit it publicly, but they're they're concerned. And you can always tell by how loud that stadium is. Bryant-Denny Stadium that afternoon against LSU, unlike any time I've ever been up there, this is going to be a night game. I would bet a lot of money will be there for this one. Mm, don't miss that one. And I doubt you will. So, I'm going to make that one an eight and a half. Texas by double digits, eight and a half. That's pretty bold. But not the most bold thing I've ever heard. Uh, Last one for tonight. How about Brady from Mason, Ohio? He's saying Ohio State's going to have the best defense in the Big Ten this year. Uh, I don't think they are. I don't think they need to. And I don't think they are. So this is an 8.75 for me on the boldness scale. Last year, Jim Knoll's second year, they made a big jump, statistically. And I... I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world to say they may do that again this year. I mean, defense won them the Penn State game last year. JT Tuomaloa just took over the game. And so I haven't forgotten any of that, but they were seventh in the Big Ten last year. And coming into this year, like the preseason defensive S&P Plus, they're 13th in the country, but they're seventh in the... what One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, they're seventh in the Big Ten again. So um, a lot of good defenses in the Big Ten. But like I said, they don't need it. They don't need to finish number one defensively. They Just just get me up there in the top five and have quarterback halfway pan out and they should be the favorites to win the conference. Well, let me scratch that because I know what's coming from Ann Arbor. Uh, they'll be among the favorites to win the conference. And that this would be an upset, I think. Uh, Ohio State having the top defense in the conference would be an upset. So I'm going to put an eight and a half on that one. I think the only thing more upset than that would be me as I look down at my phone and the weekly tradition um, has just occurred again. Cole Kubelik text during the live show. I don't know what to say at this point. It's just, I don't know what to say. I'm gonna move on. It doesn't warrant a response. A Cole Cubelic text in the middle of your live show is like a baby Gronk's dad DM. You just ignore it. You just leave it unread and you move on. We're doing the spotlight feature right now. The Pate State spotlight feature is where we just we take the brightest white hot spotlight, like a million candle power, and we shine it at one program per night. And you know where it is tonight? Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Everything we need to know about LSU, at least as we sit here in June. The biggest questions, the first one for me and everyone down there, is the defensive backfield, the secondary. They went and portaled a secondary in, basically. Uh, they got Denver Harris. You know, in the last transfer portal rankings updates, Denver Harris got upgraded to a five star. Why? Well, because he was never a he was never a risk physically. It was just an off the field thing with AM last year. If he has his head on straight, he's one of the best players in the country at his position. And he had a great spring for LSU by all accounts, according to our insiders down there. That's one. Now we gotta have the rest of them pan out too and maybe we'll have a really good secondary there. I know what history says. I know what logic says. Logic would tell you, you're not going to hit 100% on bringing in that many portal guys in one position room, and I get that sentiment. Uh, for LSU's sake, they need to hope that that's not true. They need to hope they're the exception to the rule, and I'll tell you, you won't have to wait too long. They play FSU in week one, Okay, so you won't have to wait long at all, but you know, even if they get by even if they get by FSU and it's a, it's a weird, ugly week one game, happens sometimes. They go on the road in week three and they play Mississippi State and they play Will Rogers, the most underrated quarterback in America. Uh, let's see what that secondary looks like. We'll, we get a really, really good feel that day for LSU. So that's question number one. Question number two is their own quarterback position, Jaden Daniels, coming back this year. Jaden Daniels as a passer, how much can he improve? Is it reasonable for us to expect a whole lot of improvement from him? Because we've, we've pretty much figured out who he is as a player. He's a really good player. But the skill set is what I'm talking about. He's had 14 games over the past two seasons where he's passed for under 200 yards. He's got more passing performances under 200 than he does over 200. He runs the ball very well, so he makes up for it. But think about the conversation LSU's in now. This is not some let's win eight games and it'll be a nice story. They're in the thick of the SEC championship conversation. They're in the thick of the playoff conversation. They're going to have to throw the ball better than Jaden Daniels has to this point in his career if they're going to win at that level. So that's what God made spring for. That's what God let you practice in the summer for by yourselves. And that's, of course, as Mimo would always say, what God made fall camp for. So we'll see about that. Uh, Question number three How dynamic are the other offensive position rooms there? You know, we just talked about quarterback. Running back has been an issue for them for a long time. They have not had premier tailback talent in a long time down there. The notable exception, Clyde Edwards Alaire. Uh, But by and large, there's been more disappointment than fulfillment in the LSU running back room. Hopefully that's different this year. The wide receiver room behind Malik Neighbors. What are we going to see? I'm going to talk about Brian Thomas Jr. in a second. You're going to have some depth of quality of performance in that room. See, with both of those, the receiver room and the running back room, LSU always has names. If you follow recruiting, you can look at the preseason. You can look at your preview magazine depth chart. Oh, all those names look good. They got to pan out. That's what hasn't happened enough for them. So I'm interested. Very big question for me how quality are those other position rooms? Offensive line, I could also list there. I think they're they're getting better there though. That was an issue for them for a while too. What is the best position group on this team? There's no, there's no place to go wrong in their front defensively. So I'm just going to go linebacker and you can go defensive line if you want to. They are deep there. They are versatile there. Any position group that has Harold Perkins in it, I don't care if he plays outside or middle this year or both, which you... Full well has the capacity to do. Any room who has him in there is all right by me. Omar Spates from Oregon State they brought in. Going to be another player that's probably under the radar because you've got Perkins there, uh, but they got, they got some depth. They got a really, really good uh, potpourri of talent. Don't think I've used that word yet this year. And uh, West and Wit Weeks, a couple of brothers. A lot of alliteration in the LSU linebacker room. What about breakout players? You know, I think Mason Smith qualifies for this. Even though he was a preseason All-American last year, this is just being delayed by one year. So I thought he was going to be a breakout star last year. And I think he would have been, but he went down in week one. And against FSU, it put a really somber mood on the game and and LSU ends up losing the game. And I, look, I looked at it and said, if there's one player they can't afford to lose, it's probably, I mean, outside of quarterback, it's probably him. And they lost him and they won the West anyway. So don't let that get lost in all the Brian Kelly hype is he did it without, well, at the time, one of his very best defensive players. Then we met Harold Perkins. Uh, they're both really good. So the other one on offense is Brian Thomas Jr. I just mentioned him a second ago. You look at the receiver room they need a wide receiver too. They need depth. They need the other rungs of the ladder to sort themselves out. Uh, Last year, 31 catches, 361 yards, five touchdowns. He's 6'4". Ooh, look at that special effect Colin threw at me. He's 6'4". He's 200 pounds. Should be a really good red zone threat. Should, should, should. I need that to just become is, is, is. LSU folks, Know all too well what I'm talking about, because I'm right there with you guys every spring and summer, and we're always talking about what could pan out in the, in that running back room and that receiver room it, and what should pan out and more often than not, it hasn't panned out, but now we got uh, we got a new we got a new tenor down there and a new flavor, if you will. there's a new sheriff in town to quote Sean Michaels, and uh, hopefully does big things with guys like Brian Thomas Jr. The schedule analysis is interesting for LSU. They open with a very, very tough out-of-conference opponent uh, in a venue that should not be housing a week one college football game, but I digress. At least they're playing. They play three of the top 15 national championship odds teams this year, FSU, at Bama, Texas A&M. One road, one neutral, one home. They also, though, have a really good East draw. So they play Florida every year. Florida has the worst odds in the East this year. Uh, is it is it worse than Vanderbilt though, Jesse? Two of the bottom three. Okay, so they play Missouri and they play Florida. I mean, outside of just flat out drawing Vanderbilt, it's not gonna get much uh, more manageable because there's no Georgia there. There's no Tennessee there. There's no South Carolina. So they got it good on that front. Also, if they can get through the first half of the season and you look at the back half, They've got the road game at Alabama that everyone's got circled. But five of their last six games are at home. They got Auburn, they got Army, they got Florida, Georgia State, A&M. All those are at home. They leave home one time after October 7th. So road-heavy first half, home-heavy back half. Uh, There's a stretch there. I think one of the toughest stretches, aside from the Bama game, they got a, a game against Arkansas at home and then they go back-to-back road games at Ole Miss, at Missouri, and then they got Auburn at home. All of those teams, they'll be favored against. All those teams, they, they quote-unquote should beat. That's your little upset trap. That's the quicksand there. So be on the lookout. You remember the other night? I think you do. We were down in Miami. Oh, sorry. My shin itches. Uh, we were down in Miami, and I, I got to tell you, I got a lot of compliments from you guys, that was a massive production. Huge budget. The company believes in us and therefore we get to go on the road and do that kind of stuff. So I'm not here to brag about that. Cause I'm going to tell you some stories about that trip in a second. But before we do that, I wanted to bring the truck back. I can't, I cannot in strong enough terms tell you how much the folks at good Greek moving came through. We just decided to put them on the show for the rest of the month. And, um, They're huge in South Florida. Like I think a lot of you guys in South Florida know about them. I'm encouraging you because we were up against it. We had to move a ton of equipment. And we don't have 18 wheelers just sitting in the parking lot at CBS Sports HQ down in Fort Lauderdale, but they do. And so they came through for us. Look at all that equipment being moved. It's like a little portion of it. We had a full jib. That's a big piece of equipment, immunity. And Good Greek helped us move it. And it's not, it's not just for companies like ours. One-stop shop for all your relocation needs. In fact, um, they provide the good Greek relocation system. They're the f- world's first total relocation company. That sounds so much better than moving company. Relocation company. Like if we wanted to just take this show to Cheyenne, Wyoming, I think they could, they could manage it for us. Uh, they add the insurance under the umbrella. Trust, trust, trust. That's what they're about. They delivered for us in grand fashion. I'm going to go out of my way to look for reasons to use them again. So just huge hat tip for our friends at Good Greek Moving. We appreciate them more than they can know, although hopefully this goes a little ways in explaining and, and disseminating that appreciation. And I would encourage you guys to check them out. All right, I, w- I told you we were going to do this, and I'm going to do it. George hit us up from Knoxville, Tennessee. He said, do you have any good behind-the-scenes stories If you remember Miami trip, I used to do this two years ago. We'd go on the road, I'd come back, and you guys would just like be frothing at the mouth for the ending of the Sunday night show, and I'd always give you some stories. And for whatever ignorant reason, we got away from that last year. Probably, Jesse. And so let's get back on that this year. I'll tell you what I can tell you. We got in the building Tuesday. Um, They don't shy away from how bad they were last year. Not a whole lot of excuse-making extremely intense and um, talked to a lot of their coaches, sat down for an hour with Shannon Dawson, the new offensive coordinator down there. And it's really interesting because there's, there's this stigma about him that, oh man, if he's if he's not linked at the hip with Dana Holgerson, he hasn't really done much. And it's just, you can either look at Wikipedia and and you can look at a message board or you can talk to a guy face-to-face. And when you talk to these guys face-to-face, they're able to lay it out for you. Like there are a hundred thousand reasons why things happen the way they do. And it's always interesting to get it from the coach's viewpoint. I don't want to spoil that for you because we're going to put that entire feature up. You're looking at B-roll of um, both of those things, actually. Uh, the, the other thing that Colin just showed you. Yeah, I guess I'll share this. Uh, the other thing Colin showed you there was, I was throwing with Tyler Van Dyke a little bit, quarterback down there. And I didn't let it be known at the time fact, I don't think I've told anyone publicly this yet, but he busted a blood vessel on my thumb. I no-sold it like a champ. My thumb was fat. It was purple. Uh, This is about a 70-yard throw in the air here, by the way. This is not where the blood vessel got popped, Uh, but your boys down there, you know, fielding punts, fielding arm punts. Um, It hurt. Am I a hero? I can't say for sure, but yeah, I am. It was really interesting to talk to him. You know, I, I mentioned earlier in the show, I mentioned earlier in the show, um, quarterbacks who know their legacy is on the line. He knows his legacy is on the line this year. I'll tell you what we saw. Um, I, I don't know that I was ever in that building, weight room or indoor, where Tyler Van Dyke wasn't there. He just lives there. He's there all day. He's over there. I saw him catch more balls off the jugs machine than I saw their receivers catch balls off the jugs machine. Whether they did it at five in the morning when I wasn't there, I don't know. Uh, but I can tell you that dude is a, is a hermit. That dude lives at that facility. And it's, it's really interesting because you know there was a lot of, lot of smoke a couple of months ago. Is he going to go to Alabama? Is he, is he not going to go to Alabama? D- don't discount how huge it is to make sure you've got your best players home. Arkansas. I could say the same thing about KJ Jefferson. Don't ever take it for granted in the transfer portal era that your best players are just yours and they're ride or die with you for life. You got to do your due diligence. You got to make sure you got him. And Miami made sure they've got him. And um, I'll put it this way. There is no one more appreciative of the true freshman class that's been brought in down there than Tyler Van Dyke, which leads me to my next point. And I don't know that we've got footage of this because um, I didn't feel comfortable shooting it. So we're setting up for a live shot with uh, CBS. And behind us, the offensive linemen are working out just by themselves. And if you follow recruiting, you know, Miami brought in two five-star offensive tackles this past year, Okinawa and uh, Francis Malagoa. So I had heard from Wilt Fong and the guys that Francis Malagowa was like a total different player than anyone else in the class. So I walk in. It takes like a nanosecond to pick him out from other guys who have been playing college football three, four, five years. Space alien. Looks different than any player that I have seen that I saw down there. So here's what happened. They get done doing their drill work, and then they just went out there and started, started messing around. And I want, to, I want to emphasize messing around. Francis Malagoa, I don't know that he's 18 yet. Just huge, massive, like, um, like he was created in a lab. So he goes out there and starts running QB for him. They start running pass routes. He starts doing some play-action type maneuvers. The fluidity in the hips for someone that size is unbelievable. Then he goes out wide. And this is after I had watched him one hand 40 balls off the jugs machine, by the way, consecutively without a drop, 41 Actually, I think was the number he wanted us to get that right. He starts running like 20, 25 yard posts just over the middle. He, he looked like a receiver. I don't know what else to tell you. They, they, got, a, they got a massive offensive tackle there, the true freshman, five star, that absolutely will start for them, that will run pass routes like a receiver. And I'm not talking about the speed. I'm talking about the, flu- the quickness, yes, and the fluidity. There's nothing blocky. There's nothing choppy. There's no way someone should be able to move like that. I wished so badly that we could have gone live. If we would have been able to roll tape and I could have let you watch that kid just out there messing around, it would have done millions and millions of views. And I told Mario Cristobal that when he walked in. Said, hey, I appreciate you sitting down with us for an hour, but the attraction has already happened in this building today, no disrespect. He knew who I was talking about before I even brought it up. Uh, We went to Prime 112 down there. Uh, The South Floridians know, anyone who's been to Miami knows, one of the premier steakhouses in the city, one of the premier steakhouses in the country. Oh man, I can attest. We were sitting next to, uh, Stephen A. Smith was in there, Michael Wilborn was in there because the the NBA Finals were in town. A game I attended the next night. Because when you think of me, you think of NBA Finals. Our guys in Miami hooked us up. They really took care of us. But Went down to Prime 112. Um, just unbelievable. Like as, as we would call it in Harris County, like the Hunter's pub of Miami, just unbelievable. And I used to always, I used to always look at steakhouses. I only ever went to chain steakhouses. Those are group in Harris County. And, um, so I used to always think to myself, cause I would see on TV, these people, and they would go like be spending hundreds of dollars on cuts of meat. And I always thought that's just dumb. It's not. It's really not. I would not advise you to do it every day unless you have the financial means or, or someone else's card. But wow, unbelievable. And I also would strongly advise you to call well ahead if you're going to try and go because it's tough to get a table there. Our guy Cam took care of us down there. And the other thing that I wanted to point out is um, this, this overarching belief that Miami can't be. You know what it used to be. I know a lot of you think that. I know you do. You've got your beliefs, I've got my beliefs. But I will just tell you this I know what it takes to win in college football. I've been around winning programs, I've been around losing programs that have the capability, and I've been around programs that are losing and don't have the capability. Miami's been a losing program that full well has the capability to be one of the tops in the country again. Uh, The stadium situation is what it is. That's not controllable. But I would also be remiss if I didn't take you back to the Mark Richt era. There was a night they played Notre Dame down there where it was jam-packed. They throttled them. You know, that was the one where the following Monday, every major newspaper lazily ran the same headline. The U is back. The swagger is back. Nothing like 52-year-old sports writers using the word swagger. Uh, Well, it wasn't back. But it gave you a peek at what Miami football is if Miami football is rolling. I'm not the biggest fan of playing games in Hard Rock Stadium, okay? That's an NFL venue, you know my feel on that, but they can't control that. What they can control is building a brand new state-of-the-art facility on campus for everything else they do. And the other thing they can control is full buy-in. That's the thing Cristobal talked about. We were in the gym the day before we interviewed him. Really good workout, by the way. Um, it takes care with the plyometrics too. Surprising fluidity and mobility in the hips of the old head coach down there. But he was talking about what it took for him to sign the deal to go down there. Uh, without getting too deep into the finer points, it took looking across the table, like Kirby Smart had to do with Georgia, looking across the table and saying, I want to come here. This is home for me. I can't, from a business standpoint, come here unless you check all of these boxes, and you just give them the piece of paper, and they checked them. As of that moment, Miami had everything they needed to win again. It's on him, and it's on that program. They're not uncomfortable with that. I'm just saying, I mean, that's, that's the reality. Previously, maybe there were some excuses down there. They don't have any excuses. And so when everything you ask for gets granted, just like Jimbo at a and when everything you ask for is granted, all your wishes are granted, Then it's only fair for the fans and it's only fair for the administration to then look at you and go, All right, you're on the clock. Mario Cristobal and Miami staff are on the clock. They know it. It's when there's a lot of urgency in that building. I think they feel good about this year. I think they feel great about next year. That's the vibe I got from the program. So we'll continue to go on the road, and we've got. Truthfully, we've got programs beating down our door now to come do those features there. We cannot go everywhere, but um, I think think we'll have some interesting... on the Pate State Speaker Series Tour coming up before too much longer. Then we'll have media days in Nashville, so all the SEC coaches will be coming here. So stay tuned, I guess. Long show tonight, but we don't recognize the offseason here, and I appreciate you guys for it. So for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Let's have a great start to the week. And until next time, God bless.